I want you to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would please. In verse 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you bless the moments that we have together. And I pray that you would use me and fill me. I pray that I'd be pure and clean before you. And Father, I thank you for those that heard the gospel this morning. Thank you for uh, those who, uh, the, the one that accepted Christ, their personal Savior. I pray for uh, the one that was being witnessed to later on today. Uh, after the service, I pray that you would touch uh, that person's heart, that they would come to know you. And I pray for others who heard the gospel but did not respond today. I ask that you would continue to work in their hearts and their lives. We love you this, mo- this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We are talking to you this evening about, uh, uh, or this morning, and continue to talk about the ruling authority in your life as a believer, and that the Bible ought to be the ruling authority in your life. As we take a look at our series entitled Reboot, next week we're going to talk about our prayer life, and I've been working on that message and about what prayer ought to mean in the life of every believer and how if you are allowing uh, um, um, your prayer life to dwindle, how other things will, it, it will affect other areas in your life. But this evening, we want to take a look one more time and, and concluding this, uh, this message with the ruling authority of the Word of God in your life. I want you to just jump right to number three as for lack of time as we were looking at that this morning. You will have the only book that is useful for every area of your life. It will answer different questions for you as we talked about. We, we talked about you will learn what to believe. You will learn what to believe. It's very interesting to find. Have you ever uh, wondered how so many different quote-unquote religions and denominations there are all over the place? If you study some of the history of them, you'll find that, that many of them were started out of uh, heresy and things like that. And some of the things that we would say, oh, well, they're okay. They just believe just a little bit differently on uh, certain issues. Well, you know, if I didn't believe that what we stood for was right, I wouldn't be a Baptist. I would be something else. Uh, It's important to believe what the Bible states, and we need to have that as the ruling authority in our life. We do not believe that baptism saves you. You don't need Jesus plus baptism. The only thing that you need is Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't believe that you can lose your salvation. The Bible gives, tells us that we have eternal life, that we have everlasting life. And, and so we don't believe that. We don't believe in, in baby baptism, that if a baby is sprinkled, then they are underneath the covenant of grace, and therefore they are okay. We don't believe that. We believe that everybody is born with a sin nature, and everybody needs to personally accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We, we believe certain things. We believe that, uh, uh, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that, that Jesus is uh, coming back and will rapture his church before uh, the tribulation period. That's what we believe. We believe that the, the gifts, the extra uh, gifts in Scripture, that they have ceased. We are, we are uh, uh, people that don't believe in the uh, gifts of uh, physical uh, healing like you would go and see on TV, the TV evangelists, where they heal people. We don't believe that. We don't believe in speaking in tongues. They were 
gifts that were given to be able to validate what the apostles were preaching because they did not have the completed word of God. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that we have a more sure word of prophecy now and we don't need those extra signs to validate the message because the message is complete now. The apostles and the prophets needed that at that time to be able to help validate what they were saying was true. That's why God gave it at that time. But these are the things that we believe in. And so it's important for us to know what we believe and then to submit to that as Christians. There's many other things that we believe according to this book. But not only do you have a book for every area of life to learn what you should believe, but secondly, letter B, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. You have sin exposed. The Bible helps us to have sin exposed in our life. It says in our text, reproof. It is, that word reproof means to convince or expose. As the ruling authority, as the Bible is the ruling authority in your life, the Bible will expose sin. You say, well, why would I want that? Why would I want God to, uh, the Bible to expose sin in my life? Because listen, here you go. This is plain, simple truth. You can't get away from it. Here it is. Because sin will ruin your life. And listen, not only does sin affect you, but your sin will affect others. You say, well, it just doesn't matter. You know, the world's philosophy now is, well, I'm an island unto myself. I can do whatever I want, and it doesn't affect anybody else. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, young person. Teenager, listen, you go and go ahead and go against what mom and dad stand for and the word of God. And go ahead and start, you know what, I'm old enough to make my own decisions. I'm going to do it this way. I don't like the way mom and dad do it. I don't, man, I'm sounding like preacher 30 years ago. I, was, I remember, it's just like a flashback, you know, thinking, man, I didn't like it when, when I was sitting in that pew and he was saying that kind of stuff, but it's the truth. And you go ahead and go do your own thing and not listen to mom and dad's rules and stuff like that. And you get involved in sin and then it comes out. Guess what? Your, your sin is just not going to affect you. It's going to affect mom and dad. You say, how is that? How is it going to affect mom and dad? It's not going to hurt them. It's going to break their heart. You might be so selfish to say, well, I really don't care. Well, you know what? One day when you have kids... And if you have any sense about you, you will care. Now I'm talking to you as your pastor, okay? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help you. But your sin just does not affect you. It affects others. How about this? You tell me that sin doesn't affect. Say I got into an adulterous relationship. You don't think my sin would affect this church? You better believe it. Let me tell you, I believe that every man of God... Uh, um, it, it, that, that Satan has a target on that man of God. And he wants to do everything he can to be able to, to destroy that man of God, to get him out of that pulpit whatever way he can, either with wealth, women, or wine, whatever it might be. He wants to get him out of that pulpit. Why? Because he realizes it's not only going to affect him and his family, but it's going to affect the whole church. It's one thing for a church member to have an extramarital affair, and I'm not saying that, that you ought to, and that's okay. It's not okay. Adultery is adultery, and it's wrong, and it's sin, and it's against the Bible. But you know what? It'll affect that family. 
And it may affect some friends, but it's not going to be like if it was the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or something like that. See, your sin will affect, and we need the Bible as the ruling authority in our life. Why? Because our hearts are bent towards sin. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We can't know them, and so therefore, our hearts are bent towards sin, and we need the Bible to expose the sin. And when sin is exposed in your life, guess what? That, listen, that's not, that's not God saying, look, you're a horrible, horrible person. That's actually God's grace. When God exposes sin in your life, that's his grace to be able to say, look, you need to get back on the right track. So he says, let me give you some reproof here. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't know about you, but I am thankful when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. You want to know why I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin? It's because, number one, that lets me know that I'm a Christian. If you're never convicted of sin, there's a problem. But not only that, I'm thankful for when the Word of God convicts me of sin because that way I won't continue to live that way. If not, what will happen is I'll just justify my sin and cover up my sin. See, if you and I, if we're not allowing this, this book to be the ruling authority in our life, you know what we're doing? We are, we, are, we are not allowing it to confront us and expose sin in our life. And there will not be any growing in righteousness. But not only does it expose sin, take a look, letter C. You will make wrongs right. You, you have the only book that was useful for every area of life, but you will make wrongs right. The next word, turn back to our text there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. As really we're doing a little bit of an exposition of this. Look at the next word. It says, Providence, Doctrine, Reproof, for correction. For correction. Correction is the offering or, of, of improvement according to the standard. It's to replace the mistake. So what's the Bible doing? It's saying that the Bible does not only point out to us where we're wrong, but it gives us a means to make the wrong right. It's one thing to show somebody where they're wrong, but it's a whole nother thing to show them how to make it right. Just about every day, I think it's number 14 on my praise part of my prayer. I have, a, I have my prayer request numbered. I think it's number 14, if I remember correctly. I praise the Lord and I say, Lord, thank you for making a way for me to, to be right with you and for me to be right with others because of your son, Jesus. See, the Bible is if the, it's the ruling authority in our life. Guess what? If the Bible's the ruling authority in our life, you shouldn't have any issues with anybody in here. If the Bible is the ruling authority in our life, there should not be any issues with anyone in here. We ought to be loving each other as Christ loved the church. But well, how, how, do, how, how do we know that? 
But when the Bible is the ruling authority, we get back into fellowship with God. Not only do we get back into fellowship with God, but we get back into fellowship with others we have wronged or have wronged us. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. There's been many times as pastor, I might as well just let you know up front, <laughs> I might as well, so that that way you don't come running to me. There's been many times as pastor, people come to me and say, um, pastor so-and-so has done this to me and, and uh, <clears throat> I shouldn't say many times. There have been times where people have come up to me and said, pastor so-and-so has done this to me and um, I just wanted to let you know and and we're, they won't say it like this, but they'll say basically, well, we're at odds with each other. And uh, do you think you could sit down and talk to that person? And I'll look right at them and say, nope. What? Nope. I'm going to tell you right now, and don't run to the staff and ask them to do it, because I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Either one of you, don't, you don't do it. You say, well, why, why wouldn't you uh, uh, do that? Because that's not my response. I'm not going to play referee. The Bible tells us exactly how to handle when somebody has wronged you or you think or you know of that somebody's offended with you. The Bible tells us exactly how to do it. See, you know, when we follow God's way, it always works out a whole lot better than we try and do it man's way. See, the reason that you don't want to confront that person is because maybe you got a beam in your eye. Mm -hmm. Amen. And maybe we need to get right with God first before we go and confront that other brother or sister and they might just have a speck in their eye, but we got a beam in our eye and we've been offended. Take a look at what Matthew chapter 5 says. Verse 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. So it's saying, if you're getting ready to give in the offering, and there remembers that thy brother hath an ought against thee. I've heard people also say to me, well, um, I know that they're upset with me, but that's their problem. They need to get over it. Wait, let's just see what the Bible has to say. And there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, if you don't know about it, you can't do anything about it. But if you know about it, this is what the Bible says. If we're going to have the Bible as the ruling authority in our life, you know what he says? Leave thy gift before the altar. So don't give in the offering. It would be like we just took up our offering. You know what it would be like? It would be like during the offering time, you found out that somebody was upset at you. Or I'm getting ready. I found out that maybe Brother Brown was upset with me. And... Uh, Maybe because I made fun of his tie or something like that. I don't know. And he found out I was upset. Uh, he was upset with me. And, oh, I didn't realize. I was just joking around, you know. I didn't mean to offend him. And I'm getting ready to give him the offer. You know what it says? Say, hold on, ushers. I'll be right back. Go ahead. And, hey, Brother Brown, I heard you're upset. Are you upset with me? Because I made fun of your Raiders tie or the Eagles. No, you had an Eagles tie on, didn't you? Yeah, okay. You're an Eagles fan. That's good. All right. God bless you. So you wouldn't be offended at me. Oh, Pepe Le Pew, well, you might be offended. But it's a Valentine's tie, so I can understand that. But, uh, and I go to him and I make it right. You know what the Bible's doing? It's, not, it, it's saying, look, basically, you know what it's telling us? It's saying, don't wait. If you know that someone, uh, that, that someone might be offended with you, don't wait. There's been times where I've gone up to people and said, hey, I just need to, to talk to you for a minute. I sense there's a little bit of tension between us. Have I done anything to offend you? You say, why do you do that? Because now I've gone to them and they've got to do one of two things. Either they've got to tell me the truth or they've got to lie. And then the onus is off me. Then it's between them and God. I've done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Say, so, hey, you know, is there a problem between us? I, I, is there, I feel like there's some tension or something. Did I, did I do something? If I did, please let me know so I can apologize and make it right. Now they either can say, oh, no, no, pastor, no. And maybe there isn't. Or they can say, yes, pastor, you did. You offended me. Because you made fun of my Pebble Pew tie. 
Hey, man, I'm sorry. I was just joking around. You know what? I won't ever do that again. I'd ask that you forgive me. See, the Bible is there. If the Bible's the ruling authority in our life, then guess what? We will make wrongs right. Not only that, letter D, not only does it help us make wrongs right, but we will be instructed in righteousness. Take a look there. It says for correction and for instruction in righteousness. See, the Bible tells us once we get back on the right path and we've made wrongs right, it shows us how to stay on the right path. It's one thing to get on the right path, but it's another thing to stay on the right path. How many of you have ever gone hiking before? You ever been hiking in the woods and maybe nature trails and stuff like that? What do they, what do they always tell you? Stay on the trail. Don't get off the trail. Why? What happens if you get off the trail? You can get lost. There's danger there. You know, that you can get lost. You could end up uh, getting lost in the woods and then eventually dying because of that. And you know what happens to us sometimes? We get back on the right path, but if we don't allow the Bible to be the ruling authority in our life and instruct us in righteousness, we don't stay on the right path. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would, please. I want you to take a look there, please. Hebrews chapter 12. God will teach us through his word how to deal with all of life in order that we can know what will please him. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 and take a look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lie aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's saying, you know, stay on track. You need to lay aside those weights that will take you off the track and will divert you. And we need to learn how to be instructed in righteousness. See, God's given us his word not to just suggest things to us. You know, if I were to ask this evening, how many believe that this book is the Word of God? I believe serious Christians say, yeah, I believe it's the Word of God. And you know, I, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. My heart goes out to you single guys back there and uh, single people throughout here and teenagers and stuff like that. The, the, young, the younger group, my heart goes out because you guys are getting pulled in so many different directions. And I think all of you know Christ is your personal Savior. I hope that you do. And if you do and you believe that this is the word of God, and that God wrote it, then wouldn't it be logical to say that God knows best? And so therefore, it ought to rule our life. It ought to rule all our decisions, whatever we, all the decisions that we make. It instructs us in how to live in righteousness. Why should I have the Bible as the ruling authority in my life? Number four, because you will be mature and serving. Turn back to 2 Timothy, if you will, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You will be mature in serving. Verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is the result of allowing the Bible to be the ruling authority in your life. First, letter A. You will be mature. The word perfect means to be complete means to be capable. It means to be proficient. 
And since all of us have been made for the purpose of God, it is only God's word that can fit us or enable us for that purpose. The wisdom of the world can't fit us for that purpose. It will not enable us to be mature in the things of God. It's only the wisdom of the word of God that will help us be mature. See, we need to be careful though because now listen, especially for some of you who have been Christians for a long time. You know, I spoke to the singles and the teenagers But now, for some of you who've been Christians for a long time, you need to be careful because the goal is not maturity. Maturity is not an end in itself. So how do you know that? Well, Paul talks about that, that knowledge puffs up. And maturity is not the end game. Number one, it's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate. And knowing him, that's what Paul said, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know. That was Paul's ultimate goal. So for us to grow in, in, in righteousness, to have the Bible as the ruling authority, it's not becoming a mature believer, though you will become a mature believer. But one of the end results of becoming a mature believer is that you will be a serving believer. Listen. There is no such thing as a non-serving mature believer. You say, wait a second, how can you say that? Take a look at what the Bible has to say. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Does not Ephesians tell us? Ephesians tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, that we were created for Good works. So there is no such thing as a non-serving, mature believer. So letter B, not only will you be mature, but you will be serving. Now, you can serve. You say, well, I'm serving, so that must mean I'm mature. No, you can serve without being mature, but you cannot be mature without serving. It's an impossibility. There's a lot of people that serve in the church that are just growing, and and all of us are growing anyway, but that doesn't mean that they're mature. They're on the process of becoming mature. But if you believe that you're a mature believer, then the Bible says that you will be serving in some way. It says they will be furnished unto all good works. That means that you and I will be equipped to minister to others. And we will confidently impart the truth of God's word to help them have the Bible as the ruling authority in their life. See, folks, just because you've sat in church for 40 years, and I mean, I've grown up here basically, there was... Uh, six years that I was away from this work here, and well, a total of ten. Six years when I was pastoring in Ohio, and then four years when I was in college. Well, six and a half years when I was in college. I took the extended program. So, um, I've told you before, some people join the military to see the world. I joined college to be able to see the world. So, I went from a couple colleges to a couple colleges, and I, I never let my... Um, Social life get uh, broken up. I mean, I never let my, my, yeah, I never let my social life get broken up by my scholastics. I had, I had my priorities. I mean, there was social life and then there was school. You know, I figured I'd eventually get through school. 
and it only took me six and a half years to get through. But I got through. Okay? But just because I've been here all these years, all except for 10 years, so I'm 50 years old. So I, I'd say I've been here for 40 years, let's say. Just because I've been here for 40 years and sat underneath sound preaching for 40 years does not mean that I will be a mature believer. Because maturity will work itself out in service. We've got to be serving somewhere. It tells us we'll be furnished unto all good works. And as I said, Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So let me go back to where I started two weeks ago. Is the Bible the ruling authority in your life? I mean, are, are we allowing the Bible to, to rule our life or aren't we? You know, some of you may be sitting there saying, well, I, I just don't like what Pastor just said there. I, I don't like that. Well, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't not tell you what the Bible has to say right here. You know, if we bristle at those things, that ought to be telling us something about ourselves. And I'm not trying to get on you or beat you up at all. I, I just, when, when we bristle at things that, that are said from the Word of God, we need to check our heart. Say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? See, my goal for all of us is to have the Word of God be the ruling authority in our life. If the Bible is the ruling authority in your life, this is where you will go to get your answers. You won't go to the TV. You won't go to your favorite news station. You won't go to your favorite talking head. You won't go to psychologists, psychiatrists to get the answers. You will go to the Word of God. What does God have to say? And so therefore, since God says it, I'm going to do that. You know, I told you before that the key word in this whole thing here is when Paul tells Timothy to continue. That means to commit. And are we going to commit as a church to making this book the ruling authority not only in our lives as individuals, but in this church. You know what many times churches get caught up in that's the ruling authority? Tradition. Man, we've always done it that way. We have always, man, I tell you what, we have had, we have had Sunday school at 945 every single Sunday since this church started. Bless God, it's in the Bible. Do you realize when my dad was coming up, there were preachers that would preach against having a service at 6 o'clock, they preached against that. That was liberalism. I don't have on a white shirt. I've got on a checkered shirt. There are preachers that preached against that. That if you're a man of God and you get up in the pulpit and you wear anything but a white shirt, you are liberal. And Brother Craig, I tell you what, you couldn't get up here. You got like, what is that? Is that a pink shirt on? Man, you are really liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Brother Doug's got orange, so you're all right, though. You're all right in my book, man. <laughs> but that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. Why? Does it say anything about that in the Bible? 
doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. And we get, we get caught up in tradition that we've we got to have this and got to have that, or we've always done this. Wait a second. It is the Bible that is to be the ruling authority in our life and the Bible alone. That is it. So are we going to allow this to rule our lives? See, guess what? You can't make that decision for anybody else except for yourself. Only you can make that decision. Are you going to allow this book to be able to teach you what, it, what to believe? Are you going to allow this book to be able to correct you? Are you going to, be able to allow this book to be able to help you make wrongs right? Are you going to allow this book to be able to instruct you in righteousness, how to live and stay on the right path? So that that way you can become a mature believer and a serving believer. If not, then what's your purpose? See, Pastor, what are you trying to get at? I'm trying to get at, I'm trying to get at that we as Christians were just not going through the motions. I have said it, and I've said it, and I've said it. I do not want this unauthentic, rote type of Christianity where we just show up. Oh, man, well, we had our three services this week, so we must be good Christians. No, I want authentic Christianity. I want New Testament Christianity for Open Bible Baptist Church. I want the Bible to be the ruling authority at Open Bible Baptist Church. Not what we think, but what does God think? But you know, the only way that that's going to happen is if that's true in your life and then in your family's life. So, Dad, it starts with you. Are you going to allow that book to be the ruling authority in your life? You say, Pastor, why do you talk about wanting authentic Christianity? You, won't, you, you mentioned probably once a month or once every other month, you don't want us going through the motions you want to know why? Because probably for 20-some years, I sat right where my wife and daughter are sitting, and I went through the motions. I did it because I had to, because I was the pastor's son, and everybody expected it of me. Do you know what happens, I find? That not only happens in the life of pastor's kids, that happens in the life of all Christians if we're not careful. The most base rote reason that somebody does something is because it's duty. Duty is a very poor motivator. You say, why is that? I've heard messages on duty, 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 duty. Yeah, I have to. I have to. But when there is discouragement on top of duty, when there is depression 
on top of duty. When there is dissatisfaction on top of duty, guess what happens? Duty falls by the wayside. But when there is discouragement and you have a relationship, a a vibrant relationship with the Lord, and you know that he loves you, you're going to continue to allow the Bible to be the ruling authority in your life. When there's depression or despondency, whatever the case may be, but you know in your heart that God loves you, it's not just going to be about duty. It's going to be about the light because though you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to allow the Bible to be the ruling authority in your life, and you're going to do it not because you have to, not because your last name is Riddell and your dad's the pastor, not because you feel like, oh, well, I've always done this, so I've got to do it. No, you know that in the heart times that God's been there in the past and you know that he's going to be there uh, now because he was the same yesterday, today, and forever and he brought me through that valley before and so I'm going to allow the Bible to rule my life now because I know that he loves me. I know that he cares about me. The sky may be black. The sun may be uh, gone out. There may be no light and I can't see his hand but I can trust his heart and I'm going to follow his word so therefore I'm not going to do it out of duty. I'm going to do it because I know that the word of God says that he delights in me and that's why I'm going to keep on see and there's a huge difference and you find somebody who is motivated by duty and they go through tough times they're going to fall off the Bible's not going to be the ruling authority in their life anymore you want to know why because they don't see God as loving they don't see God as good they see him as a taskmaster But when you do it because you know that God loves you, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the fiery furnace, even in the lion's den, even in the Roman prison cell, when you know that God loves you, that book will be the ruling authority in your life, not as a club to beat you into submission. But that book will be as the loving arms of a mom wrapping around you to encourage you and lift you through and walk with you through and bring you through the valley of the shadow of death. And see, that's the way that the Bible ought to be the ruling authority in your life. Is the Bible the ruling authority in your life?